0: Good morning, guys. Thank you, uh, Marty, for letting me have a minute. I'm going to cheat and use my phone because I have a list I want to read you and I don't have it memorized. Um, I just wanted to kind of share briefly with you uh, just some thoughts about uh, men's ministry. And I figured with all men, this is a good time to do that. So I'm going to find my little uh, document here. There we go. Um, I, I think that discipling men is, in my mind, uh, for, for me as a pastor, it is the second highest priority right behind preaching. And I, I think that uh, any church in America right now, e- even a church that is solid scripturally, um, in fact, maybe especially churches that are solid scripturally, lack men and you could call just about any pastor in America and say, what's, what's one of your greatest needs? And they would say qualified men who can teach and who can lead and who can um, carry on the ministry of the word. I'm a big believer in uh, 2 Timothy two, uh, which talks about, uh, Paul tells Timothy, the things you have heard from me entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I don't know if you caught that. There's four generations there. Paul Timothy Timothy teaching others and the others able to teach others. And so that's that's huge. Right now for example in uh, in the United Kingdom the general philosophy of ministry in the United Kingdom is is not to disciple men. It's simply to preach and there are very good preachers in the UK, but they don't disciple men for the most part. And now what we're seeing is as a result of that in Wales for example in the next 5 years 90% of the churches will be without pastors because they're all 65 and 70 right now because no men have been developed. Um, they're, they're, to my knowledge, is not a really solid uh, seminary in the UK to train men. And so really, it's the job of the local church, and it's something that I am I am passionate about. And really, there's two levels that I, I'm passionate about uh, training men. There's there's what we might call the ongoing training, which is uh, what we're doing here this morning. Uh, uh, it is uh, men's Bible studies, uh, men's retreats, things that just uh, guys need to be involved in each other's lives, and that's ongoing forever, and that should always be there. But on the other side also, um, I'm a big believer in very intentional training of men, training men to be qualified to be elders. doesn't mean that everybody will be an elder or everybody will be a, be a deacon. But if you read through the qualifications of an elder, there's only one or two that every man should not be attaining to. Um, not every guy has the gift of teaching. Not every guy has the gift of, of leadership and ruling. Other than those, everything else is something we attain to. And so um, my vision is, you know, Lord willing, <clears throat> seeing what the Lord does here at Grace Bible Church um, is to do an intentional, I don't know if you want to call it an institute or a program that does involve a little bit of work. Um, I've been blessed with a seminary education, and most guys go to seminary and they leave 95% of it at home or, or in their books. I don't want to do that. I want to bring all that I can To men. And so that would involve um, doing what I've designed so far, basically a a two-year program. Now, before you get scared and think that that's horribly difficult to do, it would involve uh, 12 weeks in the fall, about eight weeks off, 12 weeks in the spring, four weeks in the summer, do that twice. A total of 52 to 56 times together, something like that, with about two hours of homework a week. I do two hours of homework before noon every day, so two hours a week isn't, isn't too bad. But basically what we would want to cover, and here's the list, <clears throat> is systematic theology, um, the Grace Bible Church doctrinal statement, a Bible survey of all 66 books, so you understand every book in the Bible, um, every covenant in the Bible, how they work together. We want to study evangelism, we want to study prayer, the theology of worship, we want to study biblical family life, um, training us to be men, to be fathers, grandfathers, uh, husbands, uh, leadership in the church. We want to do the basics of biblical counseling, uh, basic church history, and we want to do beginning and advanced biblical hermeneutics. I want every man to know how to study his Bible and how to spot a fraud from a mile away. So that's kind of my vision. I want to encourage you guys to, to pray about that. If the Lord allows us to do that, that wouldn't start until September. Uh, Because I need time to develop some of these things. I've got the big picture, but I have to fill in the details. And so just pray about that. I'm praying that every guy would want to do this. It would be essentially, uh, for example, we haven't set this in stone. For example, it would be a a Monday night from 6 to 8. And we would have a first portion on one topic um, that I'm, I would be teaching you, then we would have a discussion portion where you bring your homework, things that you 've read, and you guys are going to lead that and then there would be a third uh, portion where we 're doing a completely different topic so that we 're covering three things at once always, and that and they 'll overlap and layer with each other so just pray about that because. A church with strong, dedicated, and equipped men is a church that will be vital. And everything else will take care of itself um, if we start there and lay that foundation. So just pray for that. Uh, pray for, for guys to be interested. Um, uh, pray for yourselves. I know that when I just said two years, about two-thirds of you said, that's out. I'm done. Um, but but at the end of that two years, this will be a group of men that you will you will be – Close knit with for the rest of your life, and that's the way we should be. So I just wanted to share that vision with you a little bit, and, and certainly still in the formation stages. Um, but that—that's where my heart is: is to is to pour myself into other men who will in turn do the same uh, with others. So I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Okay, raise your hand if you guys don't know Marty Wolf.
1: Okay, well, everyone knows them. Um, you have the the Friends of Israel subscription uh, sign-up thing in the back, if you guys are interested. And um, again, I mean, Marty and Pat live in uh, Cannon Country. It's about a hour and fifteen-minute drive from here, almost door-to-door. Um, so, thank you very much for coming up uh, such an early time in the morning. So, um, and then uh, after you're done, we'll have a few announcements, and then um, we'll probably go ahead and begin workday. So. Well, thank you very much for, for that, and it's always good to drive up here when I don't have to contend with either snow or fog, and this was really a nice drive this morning. It was really, really great, and uh, I would certainly say amen to what Steve said. Um, just to give you an example, on the back table, I have our Israel My Glory magazine, uh, which uh, many of you have already, but if you don't, it's a Bible study magazine for for believers with uh, uh, current events, um, incidents in beautiful downtown Jerusalem. By the way, did you know it snowed in Jerusalem last week? And, uh, and the reason it did is because the elevation is the same as Palmdale, 2,600 feet. So when you read in the Bible, you go up to Jerusalem, now you know why you're going up, because you're going 2,600 feet. And... Um, And so, uh, anyway, the magazine is available. If you don't get it, you can put your name on the uh, little uh, paper back there. And uh, the Hebrew word to write legibly is print. And uh, this way, if uh, we get it, uh, we can read it, we can send it to you. Uh, Before I um, um, uh, share with you what the Lord laid upon my heart today, just um, taking off on what uh, Steve said about discipling men and being involved in other people's lives. Um, it's really amazing how God does work. Many, 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 many years ago before some of you even were born, um, literally, uh, we were involved in a ministry back in uh, Montreal, Canada, and uh, they had their uh, World's Fair Back in 1967 in Montreal. It was uh, called Man in His World. Uh, it um, involved uh, various and sundry pavilions. The United States had a pavilion, Russia, and a lot of countries had pavilions there. Well, I was involved with the uh, Moody Science Institute Sermons from Science pavilion. Some of you are familiar with that uh, uh, program, uh, uh, Sermons from Science. And um, we had a pavilion where we showed scientific films, but then we had a, a uh, after-presentation pr- whereby people would come and have the gospel shared with them. Well, One of the young men that I met at that time uh, was just going to college, and he had a real heart uh, as a hockey player to, um, um, to go to college, which was really unusual. Because in, in, in those days, when a, a guy was any good... Yeah, as soon as he got out of high school, the minor leagues would pick him up. And so they never went to college to be exposed to uh, inter-varsity, uh, Campus Crusade, Navigators, and they went straight on into the, into the uh, um, professional hockey. Well, back in 1967, uh, seven, about 10 years later, when Don was finished with school, um, he was a high school teacher at the time, Um, we were involved with his life, and um, at that time I was um, the Bible study leader for the Montreal football team, the Alouettes. They won won a couple of Grey Cups back in those days, but I don't know, they haven't done that well this year uh, or the last several years. But anyway, all that to say is that Don had a heart to reach hockey players. And so we basically put on a program of Vacation Bible School with a sports emphasis, hockey, and um, we had guys from the football team do land stuff. Well, his contract was going to was gonna have to be signed if he was going to teach another year, and so we had a real heavy-duty prayer meeting as to whether he would sign for the following year or launch a ministry to uh, reach these kids. Well, he decided to reach out to the unsaved kids. Thirty-seven years later, Hockey Ministries International is still functioning, um, they have chapels in some of the major hockey uh, leagues, uh, teams, both United States, Canada, uh, uh, Russia, Slovenia, Sweden, Switzerland. And um, in addition to that, they are involved with having hockey camps for kids, uh, guys from about 9 to 17. Long story short... I reconnected with uh, with him oh several months ago, and we're going to have a hockey camp down in Santa Clarita uh, this next summer. Uh, the kids will be staying at the Masters College, and then they're going to have ice stuff at the uh, um, uh, ice station there in Santa Clarita. And some people have gone all over the country to have their kids exposed. Now, I don't know if any of you people are interested in hockey or know kids who have hockey, although I think Bakersfield has a pretty good hockey team. Anyway, I brought some brochures here. It's on the back. i got two or three of them, and it, um, it uh, is uh, available next July. Uh, it has nothing to do – I'm still with Friends of Israel. I'm just helping out on this one. It's like we did back 37 years ago to get the thing of flying. Um, and um, so it's, uh, and it's, it's exciting ministry because some of these guys have become Christians. And uh, it was interesting. I talked to our Friends of Israel development director um, about this group. And he says, yeah, there was a, a hockey player who came to our church back in New Jersey. And he really got involved with the kids and all that. And I says, what's his name? And he said, uh, Jan, uh, John Van Viesbroek. And he said, I says, well, I'm looking at his picture right here. Really? Yeah, so there shows uh, some of the guys who are pro-hockey pro players, uh, coaches, um, and just recently the hockey coach from the University of Wisconsin resigned his position and has come full-time with uh, HMI Ministry. So if you're interested, pick the Bill Bosher up, read it, and uh, you can contact uh, the, uh, the Valencia um, address on there, which happens to be ours. Anyway, um, this morning I want to talk about um, us as as men. And I, I have, if I had to give it a title, I would call this Being Holy in an Unholy World. And as you well know, we're living in troublous times. Um, just here recently... Uh, since that shooting back in Newtown, Connecticut, uh, just down here in Taft last week, some kid was, uh, was uh, involved with a, with a gun. And uh, certainly we're living in times of instability. We're living in times of uncertainty, ungodliness. Sin is all around us. The, the effects of this, all of, uh, or the affects of this, impact all of our lives, um, uh, the world in which many of us grew up in is never going to return. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. The world of the 1940s, 50s, 80s, 90s, they don't, it doesn't happen anymore. It's gone. The standards for right and wrong are gone. Standards for morality are gone. Standards for ethics are gone. Standards for fairness are gone. Standards for honesty are gone. Standards for uh, integrity are gone. Um, we're living in such a world, and yet we're called to be Christians in this kind of a world. And God is being sovereign. He knows this. God being omniscient, he knows the world in which we're living. And yet he says we can do that. Um, in his, in uh, Leviticus chapter 19... He tells us, God says, be holy for I am holy. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a more uh, uh, definite way. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And as we define the term holy, most of you have a Bible. It says holy Bible there. Um, the word holy, both in Hebrew and in Greek, it means apartness, a separateness, distinct from the common. Our book is called a holy Bible because it's different than other biblios, other books. And when we talk about God being holy, we see him in, a, in the sense of a, as being an awesome God, different, apart, separate. In fact, when you talk about holy, you can almost equate it with the word deity. Holy, in reference to God, speaks about his power and his character. And unless we forget that, let me just read something to you about the awesomeness of God. Because we're going to talk about God requiring things from us. And I want us to understand just who it is who's making these requirements. And requesting this. When God says, Be holy, for I am holy, He's telling us something that is possible for us to do. He doesn't say jump over a ten-foot wall or a twenty-foot wall because he knows we can't do it. But he says, be holy, and the and the and the language is saying it's a it's not a, a once and for all thing, it's a consistent, it's a present tense. Keep on being holy. When he says, be holy, for I am holy, he's, he's telling us, here is something you can do. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask us to do it. So it is possible in the world in which we're living. It was possible in the world in which Moses lived, in the world in which the prophets lived, in the world in which um, the Lord Jesus lived, and down through the centuries even to this day. So in order to understand a little bit about the awesomeness of God who is saying, Be holy. I'd just like to read something to you. It says, Are you impressed with the greatest greatness of God as you gaze at the magnificent starry-studded sky on a clear night? If not, perhaps some statistics concerning the universe will help to be impressed. Are you aware of the fact that the planet Earth on which we live is over 6,600 quintillion tons? That's almost as big as our national debt. But um, that's 6... 6,600 with 18 zeros after it. The Earth is huge in contrast with each human being, but in contrast with the Sun of our solar system, the Earth is so small that it would take 1,300,000 Earths to match the volume of the Sun. The Sun is enormous and yet is one of the smallest stars in the galaxy. Another star, Antares, occupies 90 million times as much space as our sun and is 390 million miles in diameter. In spite of its great size, Antares is only one of approximately 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is uh, gigantic in that it takes 100,000 light years Traveling at the rate of 186,000 miles a second to move from one end to the other. In addition, it is so thick that it, from five to ten thousand years are needed for light to travel from the top to the bottom. And in spite of its vastness, our galaxy is approximately uh, only uh, is one of approximately one billion galaxies that have been photographed thus far. Now, from a, from a, uh, uh, a scientific uh, publication known as the Daily News, <laughs> Los Angeles, let me just read this to you. And this is from scientists out of uh, Yale. It says, for many years, scientists pictured that there were 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. But last year, uh, Yale scientists figured the number was closer to 300 billion stars. And that's just our galaxy, Scientists figure that there are a hundred billion galaxies. Now, this is the one who spoke, and all of this went into orbit, is the one who says to be holy. Is it any wonder, when we talk about the glory of God, that this is just a, a reflection of it? Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the scripture says in Psalm 19.1. So when God says, be holy, for I am holy, he's got the weight and the heaviness uh, and the power to uh, say those words to us. And so, if we look in chapter 3 of Colossians, I'd like us to understand that, as, and, and many of you will, if you don't know that, you'll know that if you attend Steve's um, um, Bible school <laughs> or, or seminary <laughs> instruction, that. Paul's epistles usually break into two, two parts. The first part is teaching, doctrine. The second part is application or living. And thus in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, he begins to apply what God has taught us through Paul in the first section. So let's take a look at chapter 3, and then you know, I noticed that again as I've walked in the front door, teaching the Bible verse by verse, and this is what we're going to do this morning. Now, um, Paul is saying, if, and the word there in the original is since, you were raised with Christ, and he says, if you were raised with Christ, and you were, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. The point being in is that in order to be holy, first of all, you have to have a relationship with God. And if you're here this morning, I don't know all of you, obviously, but if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no way you can be holy. In fact, you're unholy. You're not part of his family. Being holy means you're separate from the world, but part of His family, and you become part of His family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came in Bethlehem as promised by all of the prophets in the Old Testament. But well, we don't have time to go through all of those prophetic uh, passages that were written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And you talk about the uh, uh, t- uh, pr- t- probability um, of all these things happening. Um, in one person's life, the numbers of, as, as, as big as the the, uh, the universe is pales in comparison. The Lord Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and will continue to fill the, fulfill the prophecies about the coming of messiah and so Paul is making that that comment here, if or since you have been raised with Christ and you were if you have received him as your Lord and Savior. Seek those things which are above. That is another way of saying, be holy, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And then he goes on to say, that is our position. We are risen with Christ. In the book of Galatians it says, I've been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. But it's not me living anymore. It's Christ living in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, set your mind on these things which are above, not on things of the earth. We are part of the earth, but we're not to be involved in the mundane things of the earth. For he says in verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're dead and it's hidden. It's, it's, it's shielded. Christ is our, is our life. And then it says in verse four, our promise, the promise is that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. And it says in first John, it does not appear that we shall be, but when he appears we shall be like him. So what we'll look like when and when he returns, I have no idea, but it says we'll look like him. So as a result of this, what how do we live? Now, verse five. Five through verse ten eleven is our practice, excuse me, our practice, our new life in Christ. He says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Put to death. Kill them, in other words. Now, the first couple of verses here, verses 5 through 7, are the activities of the body. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of definitions about this, but... It tells us what these things are, fornication, illicit sexual intercourse, we know that, uncleanness, immorality, filth, profligate living, put away those things, passion. Now passion is good in certain uh, instances, it depends how it's focused, it depends on where it's focused. The passion in this context means depraved, lusting for things of the flesh. Evil desires, wicked cravings, cravings for things that are not godly, and each one has their different definitions of what would not what that would be and then verse uh, um, six talk, verse five talks about covetousness that 's the greedy exploitation, wrongful desires without regard to the rights or feeling of others, and then idolatry idolatry is the worship of false gods. Now, we're living in a world that worships everything else but God. We look at Hollywood. We look at the politics. We look at all various, various sporting goods, sporting uh, professional sports. All of these are gods, so to speak, that people put their, um, put their uh, focus on. So he says, put off this. Take it off. These are activities of the body. And then activities of the mind are verses 8 and 9. But now, I should, before I mention that, he says, and he points out, he says, in verse 6, he says, Because these things, the wrath of God, is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. Paul is saying, this is where we used to live, folks, so put it off. Put it off. This is not being separate. This is not being holy. And it's getting harder and harder and harder with everything that is out there, whether it's on the TV or in the Internet. Uh, they're just pushing the envelope further and further, and it's gonna, it makes it harder and harder because we're still in the flesh. We have to really fight this. It's a, and we don't fight by ourselves because the Spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer. Christ says, I'm not going to leave you alone there he says in John 14, I'm going to send you another uh, comforter, a paraclete. He's going to come and indwell you, and he will be not only with you, but he shall be in you. So we don't do this by ourselves. When God says, be holy, for I am holy, he expects us to do that because he knows we can when we allow him to take his place in our life. There is no temptation you taken you, but which is common to men, but... But God will, with that temptation, provide a way of escape. The question is, do we want to take the, the way of escape? Do we want to take the way of escape? But he says here, this is the way we used to walk when you lived in them. It's just living, living in this, so to speak, this cesspool. But he says, but now, verse 8, you must put off all these, all of these, like anger, that 's the revengeful emotion directed against the one who either inflicts real or imagined wrong that 's anger, and he talks about this same thing in Ephesians as well the desire to retaliate or punish you see on bumper stickers i don 't get i don 't want to even I just want revenge, you know. So this is this is the attitude of anger. You get so angry. I remember when I was in um, uh, in at, at Biola years ago. One of my the profs was a former missionary to Japan, uh, China. He went there before the Second World War. He was there all during the Japanese occupation. And um, he said that, for example, the Chinese approached him and he says, "You know, you Americans, you're you're you're, you're kind of you know." Laissez faire, you know, you, you kind of do what you th- want to do. We're very reserved. We're very proper on the outside. But on the inside, we're very angry. And he says, people can actually die from a bout of anger. And when I think about that. I think of my uncle. He wasn't a believer. And I, I didn't really know my uncle because we moved out of Nebraska when I was a little kid and lived out in, here in California. But uh, several years ago, I and the family made a trip through that area. And um, we stayed with them, not knowing what we were going to get into. And all of a sudden here at dinner, t- dinner time, over the table, my aunt and uncle were going back and forth at each other. And I thought it was just a little game. But finally he looked up at me and says, you think we're kidding? You know, <laughs> suddenly, it suddenly became really cold in that room. Well, we couldn't wait to get out of there. So we left the next day. But then later on, I heard my uncle died, and I, I found out where he died. He died at the hospital because apparently my aunt was taken to the hospital for some medical issue, and he found out what the bill was. He got really angry, and he blew up. He blew up, and I honestly believe that it was so angry because that was his nature that he actually killed himself. He died of a bout of anger. The desire, it's an emotion directed at, 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 at what he felt was wrong. And we have to watch that. We can get very angry very quickly. Short, short fuses. These are the activities of the mind. The activities of the body, they're outward. These are inward. What about wrath, as it says here? You must put these off. Wrath. Wrath is, the, is fury. It's fierce anger, resentful anger. We can get so angry with things and people and issues that we can just begin to um, go crazy. I know a lot of people really got upset regarding the election. Uh, They really said, oh, they were really, really angry over it. But you know something? When you look at it, this is a little bit of a side. When you look at what's going on in the world, our country and the world, it really wouldn't have mattered who won the election. Because biblically speaking, we're all going down. Only this way we're going faster. But the end result would have been the same. So put it in that prospect. and You don't need to get angry over what's going on in the politics. We can get frustrated with it, but no use to blow a fuse over it. Don't blow a fuse. It's not worth it. And then what about malice? That's hateful feeling. Malice is hateful feeling. Put away that malice. And then he talks about blasphemy. That's slander denigration slandering you know they say sticks and stones will break your bone, but names yeah names will hurt names can and do hurt when you slander someone when you say things that are not true about, about someone that can hurt not only you but it hurts the it hurts the testimony of the Lord Jesus and what about this filthy language here according in, in, in New King James it's called filthy language that's obscene filthy speech I know I used to before I became a Christian. I mean, this was natural, natural fare, and you really had to put a break on that. And um, and so um, I used to work with a guy who uh, he uh, he would get real frustrated. He starts swearing. He says, "You know, you know." I says, "That shows your lack of education." And he always wanted to show he was educated. He liked to drive his Cadillac because he was the closer in a, in the business and I want to show he was you know, cut above well after a while he began to understand that using language like that does not advance his, his image but, and it dislowers and degrades himself so the activities of the mind filthy speech and then he says lying speaking falsely filthy language do not lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Because these are the things we were to get rid of, put off, activities of the mind, activities of the body. Well, when the Lord says to, to do not to do something, he doesn't leave us there. He tells us what to do instead. And here's what to do. Put on the new man, the new man, for a new life in Christ, and, in fact, in a new year, in a new opportunities, new challenges. Therefore, as the elect of God, if you want to be in that category and if you consider yourself as part of the elect of God, here's what you're to be. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. That means compassion toward one another, toward even an offender. Compassion toward an offender. And then it says kindness Considerate behavior. That's what that word means. Now, I looked all of these up in the original. I didn't write down the Greek words or the Hebrew words. It doesn't matter to you. We don't speak Greek. We don't speak Hebrew. But we do speak English. The kindness is considerate behavior. Be considerate of one another. I'll give you an example. Um, I grew up with wine. Every Friday evening, my my dad used to have the, the cottage. My my mom would light the Sabbath candles, uh, say the appropriate blessing, and we had wine. We didn't we didn't drink it at the at, at mealtime. It was just on every Friday night, and I grew up with it as long as I can remember. Because but I know because it can be a stumbling block to others. I don't drink it. It can be a stumbling block. So I don't do it. I never forget one time years ago when we were ministering in Canada. I went with the pastor of our church to visit a French-Canadian couple. And, of course, the French-Canadian-Italian culture, wine is part (laughs) part of the way of living. Well, we went to the home of the Spinos. And his gracious host, they offered us a, a glass of wine. And i never forget what Pastor Freeland said. He says, you know, folks, he says, I appreciate that. He says, but I've even given up good things for the Lord. So, and they accepted that. They didn't have a problem with it. And so um, consideration of other people is, is an example here. Being kind toward don't cause, don't be a, cause a stumbling block. Kindness, considerate behavior. And humility, being modest, that's the idea. Not proud or haughty over position. I know that, you know, a Certain when you get to a certain level, either in a company or in a church or whatever, you can kind of, you know, um, uh, think you have it over other people, but that's not what he's talking about. The Lord Jesus was, was, uh, showed humility even though he could have called 10,000 angels to take him off the cross, he didn't do it. So humility is modesty, not proud or haughty over position or your status or, or uh, achievements. Uh, i never forget what one time um, um, during that experience in Montreal in the uh, Sermons from Science Pavilion. Uh, a gentleman walked in. He had a dark dark clothes on. Um, kind of a dark jacket, and he had all kinds of he had a, a, a chain with all kinds of emblems on it and I was happened to be there in the office by myself and and as it turned out, he happened to be um, the nephew or the uncle of one of the guys that worked there, in fact, the, the pavilion director and this guy was from England, just kind of walked in real nonchalant very. Very uh, humble guy, and I said, asked him his name. He told me, and I says, What is, what's all this? He says, I, I, I'm the Lord Mayor of London. Oh, <laughs> so but he didn't no airs about the guy, no errors at all about him at all, and um, so I thought that was that was an example I've never forgotten, and then meekness—that's being humbly patient, on under provocation. We get provoked a lot, but we have to be patient. That shows meekness. In the Lord Jesus, He's regarded as meek, but He wasn't. He wasn't a milk toast. He was meek under provocation. He was gentle. He was kind, and then long suffering. And we know that word is patient, long endurance, put up with a lot. He put up with an awful lot by those who He created, putting on the new man according to His uh, His uh, His character. And so, put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And so, he says, long-suffering, bearing one another, forbearing, refraining, abstaining from exercising a right. Now, we have a lot of rights. All things are lawful unto me, the Bible says, but all things don't glorify. All things don't edify. We have the right to do things, but we don't have to exercise that right the lord jesus when he became man it says in philippians he thought it not robber to be equal with god but he didn't do it he didn't pull ranks, so to speak he uh, abstained he laid aside the exercise of his authority of, of his power and so we can if he gives us that as an example we can do the same and then forgiving forgiving one another Forgiving one another was this say in Ephesians. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let all bitterness and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave us. You know, sometimes you know you know the story of the man who uh, owed the Lord a. A whole bunch of money. He owed a whole bunch of money, and he was forgiven. Then he finds a guy who owes him a dime, and he wants to throttle him and throw him in jail. Well, that's not what the Lord is saying. He says, I, you need to be forgiving. For need to be forgiving. Do not, um, do not be uh, resentful to be for forgiving. Pardon, ceasing feeling from any resentment against someone. And then he says, Loving. Loving, even as if anyone has a complaint against you, um, be uh, as Christ forgave you, must forgive as Christ has forgiven you. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And then, what happens when, when we do that? Verse 15 and the peace of God. Rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And if you compare this passage in Colossians with um, the passage in Ephesians where it says, Be filled with the Spirit, you'll find the results are identical. So letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly is the same thing as being controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit. You can check that out. And all of these traits are found in the Lord Jesus. And this is the one whom we were crucified with and risen again. And I would just like to turn for a moment back to Leviticus chapter 19, if you will, with me because this is what what Paul is writing here is really not new really not new chapter 19 when the lord spoke to Moses he said in verse 2 speak to all the congregation of Israel and say to them you shall be holy for i the lord your god am holy and then he talks about reverence for parents and and not being an idolater and all this. But look down at verse 11. It says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. Dealing falsely means um, it's the same as um, someone who is undependable. If you you deal falsely, that means you're an undependable person. And then lie, uh, it means breaking a promise. Actually, I looked up the word. The root means an unreliable spring of water. In other words, you can't trust the water. You can't. Uh, you can't use it. And in verse 12, you shall not swear by my name. When we talk about the name of God, it's all that He is. All of His attributes. All the things I just read earlier. If you're back in the room where we had our breakfast, there's the attributes of God. There, I noticed those on the wall. All that God is: His omniscience, His omnipresence, His Omnipotence, all of those things, and holiness and righteousness and all of that, everything that God is, and everything there is to know about God. When you when you say, "As God is my witness," He will be your witness. So you deal d de, um, um, in verse like verse twelve. Swear by His name falsely; He's going to uh, He's going to hold you accountable. And profane, verse twelve: You shall um, not profane the name of the Lord your God. That means to treat with contempt. When one swears by God's name falsely, they're guilty of treating God with contempt. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. And then in verse 13, you shall not defraud your neighbor or cheat him by abuse of power or authority. And and then it talks about rob. And the Hebrew word really means to rip off. So if we are to reflect God's image, and imitate him, we have really a, a double outlook. One is toward God, and the other is toward our fellow man. Now, this means we don't oppress others. Since we've been forgiven for so much, God expects us to do the same with others. And don't be a stumbling block. Verse 14 You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. In other words, those who are less fortunate. And in verse 15, you shall do no on un- no justices. In other words, this talks about in a court of judgment, a legal dispute. Don't play favorites, it says here in verse 15. Don't be partial to the poor nor honor the person of, of might. In other words, to the poor or to the powerful, the same. The same. Don't be a talebearer. verse 16. Don't go about slander, again, gossip, as it's said in, in Colossians. And hate in verse 17. You should not hate your brother in your heart. That's open hostility, to be an enemy of. And, but it says you can rebuke them. You should sure to rebuke your neighbor uh, when necessary. It tells us very clearly in Matthew chapter 16 how to go about it. That discipline action, and then in verse 18, and you shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge, no revenge, for it says, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." How do you love yourself? Do you go about doing those things to yourself? No, I don't think so. And so here is what God is saying to us: how to live a holy life in an unholy world is to is to put off the old man and the activities of the bodies and the activities of the mind, and focus in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we begin this new year, and new new, uh, opportunities, new challenges, obviously, and uh, we would just ask that God would look into our hearts. As it says in Psalm 139, Lord, search me and see if there's any wicked ways in me. And if there is, let the Spirit of God reveal those, We can confess them because God will forgive. And if he will forgive, then we can forgive others. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we, we thank you for the opportunities you give us day by day, week by week, to live a holy life in the midst of an unholy world with our places of work or school or family or even church. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, for your Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and that as we commit our lives to you by putting off the old man and putting on the new man and all of these um, attributes that he would give to us through the work of the Holy Spirit as he works in our life, we give you praise. For truly, Lord, we want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. For in doing that, we are the recipients of your blessing. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of of knowing you in a very special way. And we thank you that you've called us to be ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ, a very high calling on this planet. And, Lord, we just ask that by your Spirit you would guide us to accomplish these, these things in our own lives. For we give thee praise in Jesus' name. Amen.